Hey, what's going on, people? This is Kwame Sarfamenta, and I am back with another episode of A Day Talk for Educators Live, and we are taking it back to the shy. Yes, the shy. And I have a very special guest, uh, Mr. Charles Williams, who currently serves as a principal of the Plato Learning Academy mm-hmm. in Chicago. But he's also the founder of his own organization, CW Consulting, which is focusing on helping different institutions unlock their potential and promise to deliver results necessary to increase student achievement. So we're going to be talking about a lot of different things with his company and some of the other projects he's doing and within the Chicago area and beyond. So I'd like to welcome Charles to the show. Welcome, sir. How are we doing? Thank you. I'm doing well, doing well. Thank you for having me. We literally, you know, just wrapped up a day's work here, still in my office. Um, but yeah, things are great. Things are great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, that's the um, principal life, right? You know, <laughs> yeah. Days don't end right when the kids leave. We, well, we got to keep it going. <laughs> absolutely. First one in, last one out, you know. Hey, that's the grind. That's the grind. But uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. We know a little bit about, you know, your organization, which we'll talk more about later on, but what brought you into education? You know, what were your early beginnings? Yeah, so, you know, it's funny. Most people, I think, you know, they ask me that question, you know, how did you end up here? How did you end up a principal? Uh, and, and they're waiting for that, like, moment of inspiration. And then I always have to start off, like, I, I didn't. <laughs> you know, and they're like, wait, what? How? Right, right. Um, so I, I was actually in school at Purdue, um, studying a, a, a few different things, communications with English as a background, and um, got my first job working in the district where I went to school um, as their PR guy. Uh, and so I started doing PR, and they asked me eventually, hey, you know what, can, can you teach English? I said, sure, sure. I mean, somewhere along the lines, I was not doing PR anymore. Not all I was doing was teaching English and fell in love with it. And so I said, hey, if, I, if I'm going to do anything, I'm going to be the best that I could possibly be, right? So I, I went back to school, transitioned into teaching, uh, got a master's in teaching, and, and was teaching for a while. And I thought, this isn't enough. I want to do more. Um, so I went back to school, got my master's in uh, educational leadership, uh, pursued leadership in a school. And so I've been a principal now for the last uh, six years, uh, starting in Northwest Indiana uh, and then here in Chicago for the last five years. Right, well, awesome. So tell us a little bit about the transition from being an English teacher and then going into administration. What was that like for you? So I, I've always had leadership roles. So even before I became an assistant principal, I was, uh, we had a system called TAP. Uh, it was the teacher evaluation system. And so I was a mentor teacher under that. And I think that was like my third or fourth year in. Um, so I was surprised, um, but apparently I was proving myself. Um, and in that, I actually observed teachers, and it was interesting. One of the first teachers that I observed was an English teacher at my high school when I was in school. Um, so it was very interesting to be from the student to now being his mentor, um, you know, th- those dynamics. Uh, but, yeah, so, you know, I served in those roles, and, and leadership just kind of came naturally. Um, but my biggest thing was, you know, I, I saw the work that I was doing in my classroom, saw the successes in my classroom, and, and wanted to – to scale that up, you know, and so when I had an opportunity, 
they actually, my assistant principal was out sick. Uh, so they said, hey, can you step in, be the interim assistant principal? And apparently I rocked it out and they said, hey, we want you to stay in that role. Um, and so I was an assistant principal and to, you know, the, the weird thing was, I actually got to be, uh, I, I traveled to China for two weeks oh, wow. um, through work. Uh, and so I was setting up collaborations with schools in China, which is a phenomenal experience. Um, and while I was in China, my phone started blowing up. My principal at the time had resigned. And I was like, uh, that, that was not the plan, right? And she called me and said, I think you should go for it. I was like, no, no, we, we, we had a game plan, right? I was going to be an assistant principal for five years, learn from you, and then step into that role. Um, and she said, no, you know, you're, you're ready. And I was debating, but really what drove me towards it was there was another individual that I knew who was going for the position um, and, and who was doing it for purely selfish reasons. Mm-hmm. Didn't care for the school, didn't care for the kids, um, and, and had damaged the school in doing so in the role that they were already in. And I thought to myself, there's no way I'd be okay serving under that person if I knew that I had done nothing to try to help out the school. So I threw my hat in the ring. I said, you know what, I'm going to go for it. And, you know, I interviewed, went through the process, and sure enough, they said, no, we want you to lead the school. You know, with a year of AP under my belt, I became a principal. And I've been in that role ever since. It, it was exciting. But, you know, I, one of the big things I've never tried to do is to lose aspect of having that teacher mentality. Mm-hmm, yes. You know, I, I remember what it's like to be in the classroom. And I try to tell my teachers that all the time. I, I don't want to be that administrator that has become so lofty and aloof and detached. So I said, if I ever get there, you guys need to wake me up. Um, so that, that was one of the nice things of moving quickly through those roles is that I, I still remember what it's like to have 30 kids you know, looking at you, you know, and running that. So, well, that's awesome. And I think when you look at different cities, particularly Chicago and in Boston, where I previously served, where it's hard for teachers of color, just educators of color, to get into the principal ranks and the assistant principal ranks. Even if you're an assistant principal, you, may, you stay there for so many years without getting the opportunity to be promoted into the principal ranks. And that's something that's been prevalent. I definitely know in Boston, because I've seen a lot of teachers of color and leaders of color remain APs for years, and they've tried to apply for different positions in the higher ranks, and they've just never been able to penetrate into that space for for different reasons, most of which are systemic uh, within the district. So it was great that you took advantage of the opportunity to just throw your hat in the rank and um, get that position because that's not something that a lot of us are fortunate to to have, you know, as far as opportunities concerned. No, absolutely. And, you know, we, we talk about that a lot. There, there's a group of us here in CPS, um, which is that we, we are all – you know, black male leaders within schools. And we all get together, which is a powerful group. You know, one of the things that we talk about a lot is that when we are promoted to those administrative levels, it's not as an instructional leader, right? It's as a manager of a school. Things don't get too crazy, take care of the kids, right? But we're not viewed as true leaders or or, uh, instructional leaders, at least. It's just kind of like, just make sure things are okay. You know, we find ourselves pigeonholed there. 
And so there's a movement within that, you know, here to say, no, no, we're capable of a lot more. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're, we're trying to show that off. All right, absolutely. And just being black males in education, the fact that we do have disciplinary knowledge, content knowledge, curriculum development knowledge, mm -hmm. that all becomes secondary to our ability to manage children, uh, particularly children of color, black children, Latinx children, um, what have you. So it's good for people to see the full scope of what we're capable of doing. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, you're from Chicago. Well, you're in Chicago right now. And I know months ago there were, you know, some issues that um, <laughs> yeah. end up going worldwide. You know, I was hearing about it here in Ethiopia. Wow, wow. Um, yeah. About the strike. And it lasted for two weeks. And it was basically a fight for different things that so many other cities need, right? You know, teachers with better wages, um, increasing staffing in various positions, wraparound services, which is essential when we talk about our special ed population, and then just smaller class sizes. So these aren't new issues or issues that are just exclusive to CPS. If you go to just about any district in an urban setting throughout the entire country, they're probably going to mention at least a couple of those issues mm -hmm. as challenges that teachers and you know, districts have. So in your opinion, how would you describe the state of education um, in Chicago and also within the great Chicago area, just from your experience uh, being there? So, you know, two years ago, we got a new CEO, uh, Dr. Jackson. And while I know that, you know, there, there's always people who are going to enjoy people, people who aren't going to enjoy. The, the one thing I think that is powerful about Dr. Jackson is that she is a product of CPS. You know, she was a student in CPS. Um, you know, she moved herself into a teaching position. She was a leader in CPS. She just kind of moved herself all the way up to the fact that she's now a CEO. Mm -hmm. So she's making decisions for a district, for a massive district that oftentimes, you know, operates essentially independently of the entire state of Illinois. You know, she's making decisions and she's trying to do it from that lens, like I talked about earlier, of saying, what is best for my students? What is best for my teachers? Um, you know, and, and sometimes it's, it, finding that is a balance and it's rough. Um, but what I can definitely see is like CPS is moving in the right direction, right? We, uh, there, there's been so many reports released and studies that have been done that the growth in CPS is outpacing essentially every district across the country. We're not perfect by any means, right? There's still a lot of work to go, um, but you definitely see these initiatives taking place um, and opportunities. Like I said earlier, I, I'm part of something called the Great Expectations Mentoring, right? And that was something that Janice created to say, we need uh, um, people of color, right? Uh, in leadership roles. And so that is its design and function. Um, I also sit on something, uh, an equity group, uh, equity working group. So, you know, there's a lot of conversation around equity in all aspects of equity, right? Uh, of race, gender, all of these different areas. Um, and even starting to see, hey, the work we're doing in equity 
counter some of the previous policies that have been in place. Right. And not to just say, well, hey, those are our policies. We're really taking a step back and looking at, you know, a policy that's been in place forever. And for a district as big as CPS, for somebody in Janice's position to say, hey, we may have messed up in the past, right? But let's fix that now. Uh, it, it's a great place to be, right? I, I understand why teachers were striking in some of those areas, right? I, I, I'm that principal. My teachers didn't strike. I, I'm at a charter school, but my best friend is down the street. He's a principal at a, a school, and we've, we've had these conversations, and it's impacted us. But I can understand right, them saying, hey, it's not just about our salaries, right? Like, as you said, we need to make sure that our students are getting the supports they need, right? And for the district to say, okay, we're going to make things happen so those things can be in place. Because yeah, you're gonna reach successes, but at some point you're gonna plateau, right? So you gotta make sure that those things are continuously in place to see continuous improvement. So um, I'm excited. I'm, I'm very excited to see where CPS is going to go and you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. And that was a situation where adverse situations sometimes call for extreme measures. Absolutely. And this was a case where that definitely applied. But I'm glad to hear that progress is happening and things are moving in the right direction. And I actually had another gentleman from your area who I interviewed and he pretty much told me that ever since Mayor Lightfoot took over from Mr. Ron Manuel, who I know quite a bit about, because, you know, my sister's been in the Chicago area for years. So, I mean, going back to his administration, and I can tell you, it's definitely better on this other side. And I'm just happy to hear that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, Lori is interesting. You know, a lot of, it's funny because a lot of us call her, you know, Auntie Lori. Because uh, okay. that's what she feels like, right? But um, you know, she's one of the things that I admire about her is that she is not afraid to say what needs to be said. You know, they—they they, I, I remember not too long ago there was some initiatives that they were trying to do, uh, in, in the Boys Town neighborhood. Um, and so people thought, you know, there was a comment. Well, if we focus on the homosexual population, maybe you're going to take away from other groups. You know, referring to you know the African American population, and she shut it down real quick. She said, you know, just by helping out another group, we're not taking away from anybody, you know, especially as, you know, a, a woman who, who fits both of those aspects. Right. You know, and so to sit there and, you know, there was no coddling, there was no playing politics. And she just said, no, we're shutting this down. And it's like that. We, we have a leader in place who, who says what needs to be said. And I, I, I think that's great. Yeah. She just dove right in, rolled up her sleeves and she's doing the work, you know, yeah, from yeah. where I am, you know, my vantage point. You know, kudos to her. <laughs> but uh, let's shift gears and talk about this idea of growth mindset. We hear about this in education. I've had many professional development workshops about it, some better than others, but I do believe that it's an essential concept that we need to instill in our children. So mm -hmm. I understand that you recently did a workshop yeah, yeah. at the ESA conference focusing on helping children develop a growth mindset in the classroom. So what are some strategies that teachers can employ as well as students as far as getting them to develop a growth mindset and then to excel academically? 
So, you know, I, I think the biggest issue countering a growth mindset is this idea of failure, right? Um, in fact, that's part of the title of this, right? You, you, everywhere you go, right? failure is not an option, right? Failure is not an option. And so my, my session, I took that out. I said, no, failure is an option, right? Because no matter what you learn, no matter what you do, you're going to fail as part of growing, right? And so if we start embracing that and saying, what, it, it's not an end, right? It, it's not where you're going to end up, but it is part of the process and it's okay, right? And if we teach students how to embrace that and how to learn and grow from that, um, you know, you, you start to see that shift, but it's not just that, it's not one single thing, right? There, there is that idea of embracing failure, right? There, there's also the idea of, uh, and I really liked this, um, uh, a gentleman by the name of Keon, um, who I just saw through uh, Matt Miller's Digital Summit, you know, he talked about focusing on the process, not the product, right? Yeah. How many times do our, our, right? Our kids are like, am I going to get a grade for this? Yeah. Right. Uh, is it, and it's like, it's, it's not about the grade, right? It, it's about working and creating and developing, right. And always trying to make something better. Um, and so it, it's rough, right. To be able to say, Hey, we're not going to be worried about grades. We're not going to be worried about that, that end product. Let's mm-hmm. focus on the now and, and what are we learning in this whole process? Absolutely. Um, but once a, an environment is created where kids know, Hey, I can fail and that's okay. Right. I'm not going to be punished. Right. You're, you're grading. However, your grading practice is, is that I'm not going to be punished in the end for showing mastery because I messed up in the beginning. Right. Um, I, I always share with my teachers and everybody else. Right. A lot of us fail the first time we learn to uh, drive a car. Right. We, we hop in. We go for our driving test. We may fail. Right. So we learn. We figure it out. We go back and we pass. But could you imagine if the instructor was like, well, sorry, we take the average of your two exam- Right, like no, that that's not how that's not how the world works. Um, so it's like we got to stop punishing kids for making mistakes while they're learning, and and once we can figure out how to do that, whatever structure that looks like, right? I, I really think then that growth mindset really starts to take hold because it's easy to say, right? The power of yet, we're, we're not there yet, but the reality is, kids know what the outcome is, right? I'm going to fail, I'm going to struggle, and, and at the end. I'm not going to get an A, right? I'm, I'm, even though I may have mastered it. So we really got to look at our structures in a school to, to support this a concept of a growth mindset. It's not just enough to say it's okay to fail. Like we really have to make it okay to fail. And I think when you look at the epidemic of overage and undercredited students, and then you also look at the fact that we still – well, many districts still follow a system where they give out letter grades, which is very subjective. Oh, oh yeah. Very subjective. It's just gotten to the point, as you already mentioned, that kids are now focused on the product as opposed to the process. And as a math teacher, I know a lot about process versus product because you can't just show me a solution but not show me how you solve the problem. You know, students lose points when they don't show me the problem. Sure, sure. The full process of how they solved it. So I know a lot about that. But uh, my question is, there's a shift in education where you have a lot of school leaders, a lot of districts now focusing on what we're hearing as 
competency-based education, mm-hmm. where instead of just focusing on the letter grades, we're now focusing on study habits. We're focusing on the metacognitive aspects of education and students. So what's your take on that? Do you feel like every district should make that same shift given the fact that we want to achieve this end goal of having kids develop a growth mindset in the classroom? So I I think, you know, I'm a huge proponent of, you know, like a skills-based grading, right? Um, You know, having students being able to track mastery towards a skill uh, is, is huge, right? And if at the end of the year, I master these concepts, right? I think the struggle, the biggest struggle is, as you said, we have these systems that are in place forever. And what does that look like, right? If as a school here, if at Plato, we have standard mastery or standards-based grading, but now I'm going off to a high school, how does that translate to a high school, right? Because I accept students with a 4.0 GPA and it's like, well, you don't do that here, right? And then even beyond that, getting into college, when colleges are trying to look at things, Right. So it has to be a system wide uh, shift. Right. Or at least structures put into place to recognize, you know, these shifts in education. Right. You know, the idea that students are all going to learn. Right. The same things at the same time. Um, it's ludicrous. Right. To, to, to be honest, um, I'm super excited. You know, a teacher, we just had a cluster meeting and a teacher brought to me on these charts that students were actually tracking, you know, their progress towards various standards in our classroom. And so some kids had mastered things and they were super excited and they're like, all right, now I'm going to focus on this. So, you know, when you start talking about those competencies, right, uh, study habits, I, I know kind of where to focus, right? I start to become more uh, in that metacognition to say, hey, today's good day for me. I'm, I'm going to knock out math because that's kind of where I'm at right now. Right. And to be able to give students that choice and voice and that empowerment. And it it kills me because the world that we live in doesn't operate like schools do. Right. It's not like, hey, hey, you're going to work on, you know, this thing from eight to nine o'clock. Like, that's not how we operate. Mm -hmm. So why do we create a system in school, get kids accustomed to that when they leave? That is absolutely not what they're going to do. Right. They, They have to learn how to manage their time. They have to learn you know, how to multi, you know, juggle tasks. Um, and, and I know a lot of people say kids aren't ready for it. If you give them the opportunity, they're going to do it. And, and we've been surprised time and time again on what exactly kids are able to do if we just give them the chance. Right. And I'm of the belief that we need to revamp our whole system. Yeah. We need to revamp it. That's way overdue. And going back to your point about how we operate um, in the real world, we all have jobs, you know, both of us are in education. And a lot of what we do is competency based. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, we do receive an assessment when we get evaluated or when we get observed by the principal. You've done a lot of evaluations, so you know the process. Absolutely. But the focus is always on building the skill, trying to develop our skills in order to make our students better. That isn't the schools that are doing it the correct way. Right, right. No, absolutely. (laughs) So I think when you look at 
the fact that you have so many students leaving high school still not ready for post-secondary education, still not ready to take on jobs in the market. That, that should be a sign for all of us to say, hey, maybe we need to focus on the actual skills that students need in order to perform these careers, in order to mm-hmm. go into higher education and have success. Yeah, I mean, it's it's more than just those basic skills of right. um, knowing, you know, I, I know how to multiply, I know how to, you know, write a great essay. It's being able to function in that capacity of saying, hey, I know how to make a smart choice, right? I know how to, you know, juggle these different things. It's just, it's life skills, right? And giving students an opportunity to practice those life skills while they're gaining academic competencies is what's needed. But we, we make all those choices for them, right? We say where they're going, when they're going, line up here, do it. And it's, that is not how the world works. No, it isn't. And you don't have people going to job interviews, having to tell their potential supervisors and bosses what their test scores were back when they were in sixth grade or no. seventh No. They don't care about that. Even with SAT and ACT scores, they're not asking for those things. No. All they care about is whether you can perform the job. Mm-hmm. Do you have the skills to perform the job? So if that's the case, let's focus on the skills. So um, I know I've talked to many people about this idea of bringing back vocational education into schools, having more career pathway programs so that when kids get into high school at least, they'll have some exposure to what they could potentially do when they leave high school or when they leave college. Absolutely. But there's no reason why a high school senior should go into their freshman year of college still not knowing or at least not having an idea of what they could potentially do with their skills. They should have at least some awareness of what direction to go. Absolutely. You know, and I know it's blasphemy in in, in the world of academia, right? But I preach it all the time, right? College isn't a four-year university is not for everybody. No, it's not. It it is what it is, right? And and for everybody, no, you, you like, no, because we all have skill sets. And we need skill sets of all different types. And so it's okay. You know, if somebody says, hey, this is my skill set, I'm I'm going to be amazing at this, then go learn that trade. Go do amazing things with that trade. And it is okay. No, it's it's definitely all right. So growth mindset is something that we we just really need to focus on because Mm -hmm. at some point we have to take off the training wheels and let these students ride on their own. And sometimes they're going to fall, get some knickknacks, get some scratches. Yeah. But it's okay. Put the Band-Aid on them. Let them get back on the bike and ride again. That's how we learn. And it's, it's easier said than done. I mean, I know I've been in situations where you hate to see students struggle. And maybe you don't give them the answer right away, but you do one of those numbers where you come to the student's desk, you probably take the pencil out their hand, you start writing the answer for them, or at least giving them the 
the you know next couple steps so that they can get to the finish line on their own. It's hard because you want them to succeed. So there's a thin line, mm-hmm. a very thin line, but we have to fight that urge and let the kids productively struggle through the task. Mm-hmm. That's how they build their capacity to take academic risk. That's how they do it. So I know we've talked quite a bit and, you know, we're starting to wrap things up, but uh, before we do sign off, are there any special projects? Are there any initiatives or programs that you're currently or will be engaged in um, this year and beyond that you'd like to share? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, Last year, I launched this uh, the consulting company, right? The CW Consulting, um, and it is really taken off. And so, um, I, I'm presenting at a conference next month uh, in, in Schaumburg, the IdeaCon. Um, I, I have actually was on a podcast yesterday. I'm with you today. Yep. Somebody else has lined me up for one tomorrow, right? So it's just kind of crazy the things that are happening. Um, you know, but my biggest thing right now is that. I'm doing or trying to get these two tours up and off the ground. So uh, my wife and I will be in New Orleans at the end of March. Um, and then I'm on spring break in April. So I'm just going to try to do some things around here because you know, I can't sit still. I got to work. Um, but I, we did some work with uh, Tony Howard out of, uh, of uh, California. And he has something called the counter narrative. Right. And so I'm, I'm inspired by some of that work, I, I want to go and talk to, you know, students and staff um, about that idea, right? There, there's this dominant narrative about the success of people of color, right? Um, but it's always being compared to, right, there's this achievement gap. Like, well, nobody ever talks about, one, why that achievement gap exists to begin with. Right? We, don't, we, we don't go back to those origins. Um, but if we look at the performance of people of color, right, of uh, students of color, uh, tremendous things are happening, right? In fact, just last week, um, our students participated in this competition with Boeing where they were building rockets. We had over 100 students from across the city, right? Uh, some of, of our more prestigious north side neighbors. And, um, you know, we actually, three of my young ladies in fourth grade won the entire competition. Oh, that's awesome. Right. I, I mean, it, they were so excited, came back, and it's like, right, but nobody really talks about that, right? Three little black girls from the west side of Chicago beat out every other student from across the city. And it's like, that's, that's important, but nobody talks about that. So, you know, I really want to talk about, right, reclaiming that narrative and, and putting it out there, right? Because if we don't talk about it, nobody else is going to talk about it. And, and that dominant narrative is going to continue remaining dominant. And we, we've got to fight that. And so, you know, just, just sharing that concept. And uh, so, yeah, that, that's my big project. So if anybody out there is listening, right, if you want to book me, please, please feel free to uh, contact me. And then also real quickly, because I didn't give you a chance to do this, but could you just share with the audience what inspired you to start CW Consulting and what's the primary mission of what you're doing through that? Yeah, so um, I've been presenting at conferences and, and, and speaking and doing all these things for, for a while. Uh, but last, for, uh, last February, uh, I was at the ESSA conference in Chicago, um, the one that you referenced earlier, but I was doing a training on vocabulary. And uh, a woman came to me and said, hey, I think you'd be great 
we're trying to figure out how to re- incorporate vocabulary. Can you come out and train our teachers? Um, so I went out and I trained her teachers. Then another district contacted me and said, can you do the same thing for us? And I said, hey, you know, if I'm going to do this thing, like I want to make it a, a formal, right? It's not just Principal Williams showing up. Um, so I, I formalized it as CW Consulting. Um, you know, and it's just growing, right? As I'm learning and growing, it's growing. So the, the offerings are out there. But, you know, like you said earlier, right, it, it's unlocking potential right? For teachers, for staff, for leaders, uh, for students. Um, it's saying you have a potential, right? I, I know when I've had consultants come in, it's I'm going to come in and then I'm going to come back and support you and I'm going to do these things, which is great. But the reality is, is when I leave, that work has to be done, right? Yeah. And so I'm yeah. not coming in and saying, hey, I'm the know-it-all. You have skills, you have talent. I'm going to show you how to unlock that talent. So that way when I leave, you guys are going to have results and I don't have to come back and say, now I'm going to teach you the next steps. Right. You have that talent. So my goal is to unlock that. So that way it's not just my school that's rocking it out, but we have schools all over the place doing the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But we got to continue to do the work. We got to continue to support each other as teachers. Absolutely. All grow together. But uh, Charles, uh, it's been wonderful having you on the show. Thank you for taking the time to talk with me. And before we sign off, if you could just share with people your social media information as well as a website uh, for CW Consulting so they can support this work you're doing in the Chicago area and beyond. That'd be awesome. Absolutely. Uh, So you can find me on Twitter and Instagram um, uh, underscore uh, CW Consulting. Uh, the website is cwconsultingservice.com. Um, I'm also available on Facebook, but all those links are available on the website. Um, but I'm all over Twitter. So feel free to find me on Twitter. And if you find me there, you'll find me anywhere. Uh, but yeah. Yes. yes, he is. He is all over Twitter. <laughs> and if you do come across a CW Consulting, uh, Mr. Charles Williams, make sure you retweet him as well, because it's always something profound coming from his end. So we, we got to support. Thank you. support. But thank you, sir, for taking the time to talk. And as for everybody else, this is your host, Kwame Salfamenta. On behalf of Mr. Charles Williams, want to wish you a good night, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. And we'll do this again soon, another time. Peace. Right. Night.